Ulterior. So I had a tweet bookmark for the sake of reading it as the intro to this episode. The person deleted it, but I screenshotted it, so you're not getting away with this one. Uh, some of you have to realize, being first in line also means you sometimes have to talk to cops, venue security, kick people out of line, do check-ins, and make sure you're mass communicating any issues, changes with the line. It's a whole job. I read this back to myself, like, ten times, maybe. And I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. I have never, in my time of attending shows, seen a self-imposed line leader at the front of the shit. Brother, we are, like, in our 20s and 30s, maybe late teens for the most part at these shows. Like, we're adults, essentially. Stop policing lines like what the fuck are you doing if somebody's being a dick then sure be a dick back to them but the idea of like having to take on this job because you're at the front of the line like shut the fuck up i did also see some other like shithead warms for brains activities on the timeline recently about some shows so you guys know um hate five six he is a uh an account on twitter and youtube who records hardcore shows in like the highest definition you can imagine and uploads them and it does really well like hey five six is doing a great thing for these bands um there's a clip he posted about him recording a show like he always does and somebody got in front of his camera his ten thousand dollar camera and was like trying to make a fool of themselves in front of it and then sunny hey five six had to kick the person away it's like don't touch people's shit at shows like that should be common sense just keep your hands to yourself and just have fun don't be the center of attention don't display main character syndrome on the other note relating to all this stuff i did see another clip of somebody asking to essentially be thrown off of a stage by brody king if you guys don't know brody king he is a professional wrestler with aew and also the vocalist of god's hate brody king is one of if not the most physically intimidating individuals in the scene i've no idea why you would walk up to him and be like hey blood this is my idea but if that's what you want to do sure and you'll be made a full lot of it online but you know anything for the engagement right and i understand to an extent that like certain behaviors will become commonplace as hardcore music and other scene areas become more accessible on tiktok and other platforms but if you're going to start going to shows just understand the etiquette just understand what to do what not to do don't be a piece of shit for real for real but yeah that was kind of all i wanted to ramble on and rant about uh for this episode we got brand new singles by likes of bring me the horizon moodering concrete castles and a few others to get through and then two new albums by avenge sevenfold and pupil slicer thank you so much thank you for tapping in and i hope you guys enjoy this episode So I know why you're most likely here, and I will accommodate what it is that you want to hear by changing the format of this episode from how I normally do things. So usually I would talk about the singles first and then get into the records. What is going to happen right now is I'm going to talk about one album right now and then go to the singles and then return back to the other album. And I'm doing this because again, I know why you're here, I know what it is that you want to listen to me talk about. So let's just get it the fuck over with right now. Life is but a dream. The brand new album out by Avenged Sevenfold. Alright, um... I think this will be 
the worst review that I ever do for Ulterior. And I don't necessarily mean worse in terms of like my delivery of it, or maybe that does end up being the case. But it's the worst review because it's the one that I've most not wanted to do. Like, I did not want to listen to this album and review it, which in turn brings up the question, so why even bother? Because I cannot ignore Avenged Sevenfold. I cannot pretend that I didn't hear this or that I'm not aware of it. And the reason for all that is because you guys genuinely, wholeheartedly, like no fucking bullshit, you're not listening to my voice right now had it not been for Avenged Sevenfold, had it not been for eight-year-old me going on LimeWire and pulling up some fucking AMVs of like Dragon Ball Z, Naruto, um... Inuyasha, Helsing, whatever I could find, I consumed. I was locked into that shit. AMVs were how I discovered a lot of C music early on, pre-YouTube and MySpace. And I bring all this up because it was an AMV for Naruto that was set to Unholy Confessions. At 8 years old, how I found Avenged Sevenfold. And from that moment on, guys, like, I'm not even fucking joking. My life changed. That stupid fucking riff just altered everything within my life and my brain pattern and how I looked at music and how I absorbed it. And then from then on, finding the rest of the album, Waking the Fallen, and then backtracking to Sounding Seven Trumpet, I was just engulfed by everything Avenged Sevenfold. And then when City of Evil dropped in 2005, again, you know, one by one, finding the songs online and just having my world shattered and rebuilt in the same breath because there was nothing that could prepare little 10-year-old me for a song like Beast and the Harlot and the switch up in that chorus or a track like Bad Country that takes so many twists and turns, a fucking 11, 12-minute, whatever it is, song like Strength of the World and be so captivated all the way through. A slow song, like, seize the day, just completely obliterate me and make me feel these things within my head and my heart that I could not understand at such a young age. And then going from that into self-titled in 2007 and all these things I've been saying, just having them be reiterated time and time again through Almost Easy, Afterlife, Scream, Unbound the Wild Ride. I think Unbound the Wild Ride is the most underrated song in the history of this scene, not enough people got to listen to that song, not enough people still talk about it. A little piece of heaven. Like, there is nothing I can say about that song that has not already been said already. Already been said already. What the fuck, man? This review is already off to a shit start. I could not get enough of Avenged Sevenfold, and I made sure that everybody around me knew that. I made sure that my MySpace song or playlist always featured Avenged Sevenfold. I made sure that with, with every free dress day at school, I always had on my best Avenged Sevenfold shirt. I always talked about them. I always made sure that whatever I was doing within this music space, Avenged Sevenfold were the conversation and the discussion and the discourse. So taking all that into consideration, okay, um... There's not really another way to approach this. Early on into my life, I was very fortunate. And again, I'm sorry for bringing this up, like trigger warning, content warning, um, the topic of death. Early on in my life, I was very privileged and fortunate and lucky to have not experienced death or loss greatly. Um, the Rev's passing in 2009, off the top of my head, I think the date is December 27th or 28th of 2009 when he passed away. And I remember exactly how I found out. Uh, it was like a Monday going into a Tuesday, I think it was. And I was playing Left 4 Dead 2. And at the time, I was pretty big into rhythm games like Rock Band and Guitar Hero. And there was a message board called Score Hero. It might still be there, honestly. I don't know. 
and I just refreshed the page and there was a topic at the, or a thread rather at the top of the, uh, of the board saying something like the rev from Avenged Sevenfold found dead. And I didn't understand it. I, I didn't really process that. Like I, I, it was so similar. So like pro wrestling fans, like maybe have this recollection if they were alive at the time, but like when Eddie Guerrero passed away in 2005, the idea of somebody who you watched and you just saw as like this larger than life figure, like you think that these people are invincible and then you get that really gutting reality check that, that they're not. And with the Rev, it was the loss of somebody who just shaped almost everything that I know about music from an instrumentation perspective and, and a craftsman perspective. And what I mean by that is the Rev was the person who inspired me to pick up some drumsticks and learn how to play drums. And, and the thing about that, guys, is I never got like actual lessons for drums. I, I never went to anybody. I never had anyone like in front of me and burst and show me like, okay, this is a snare. This is a tom. This is a crash. This is a ride. This is what these things do. I taught myself by watching videos of the Rev. Like there's this uh video. It's like a side shot of him playing Beast and the Harlot. And that video specifically, I just use as like, okay, when he hits this thing, it makes this sound and, and you know, so on and so forth. And just studying him and, and idolizing him. And honestly, like, in a way, worshiping him at that age. And when he passed, it was, again, just something that, you know, 14 years ago, almost, I could not describe. And even now, sitting here, I'm realizing I've never been able to properly put into words what that moment did to me and how much it truly affected me and kind of just holding in those emotions until the next day when I was listening to, I think it was... Um, I won't see you tonight part two and just by the time that the, the, like the chorus from part one comes in on that song, just lost it guys. Just started fucking crying my eyes out because I couldn't understand how I would never get to see this person live, how I would never get to meet them, how I would never get to tell him what he did for me and what he meant to me. That man is the single most important musician that I will ever have been able to like live through and have that experience of watching. And from there, eventually unfold went into nightmare and nightmare. It, it was, and it still is a very daunting record for the reason of revs passing. And, and I feel like even if not every song is about the Rev, you can feel that sense of loss and grief and what the band was going through all throughout any song. And it's just a very strange album. It's a great album. I don't think it's perfect the same way that I think of uh, self-titled or City of Evil or Waking the Fallen, but it is still an album that, you know, when Welcome to the Family or um, Danger Line or like... Um, What's the bonus one called? Um, Lost It All. When they come up on Shuffle, like, I I I'm tapped in, guys. I am right there listening to those songs. The closing track on Nightmare, Save Me, I believe is not necessarily the best song ever made, but I think it is the most well-structured, most well-crafted, most well-thought-out song ever laid out by any band ever. But I knew that this would be a different band moving forward with the Rev's presence missing. And I, I know Mike Portnoy had filled in for Rev on the uh, the tour that immediately followed Nightmare's release. And then from then on, they hired Aaron Alger, who I really did like his work. I, I think Aaron's a, a very talented drummer. Um, I think he's an Islander now, or he was an Islander. I'm not really sure what happened with that. Uh, Brooks Wackerman, who was previously in Bad Religion, is a drummer now. And he's probably a really good fit for the band, to be honest. Um, so yeah, they've gone through, you know, some changes here and there since Rev's passing, and that's to be expected, you know, it is what it is. Musically, after um, Nightmare, they went into the Call of Duty song, so there was a, 
Not Ready to Die and Carry On. I think Not Ready to Die is actually a pretty good song. Carry On, um, not as much, but still enjoyable for the most part. So, Hail to the King. We are coming up on the 10-year anniversary of this record, and this is where I'm going to sound so dramatic and so elitist and whatever the fuck else. I really don't care. It's the 10-year anniversary of when I realized this band might not be for me anymore. Um, Lead single, the title track for Hail to the King. I heard it, and I was like, okay, what the fuck? Um... In comparison to a lot of what they released afterwards, it's definitely not a bad song, but at the time of its release, it was very jarring for them to put out a song of that caliber when what I had become so accustomed to was them just really going off the walls crazy and shit like that. Um, when you get into the rest of Hail to the King, there are three songs on that album that I will give as being good, for myself at least, in my opinion. Shepherd of Fire, Doing Time, and Heretic. But everything else, nah, I, I, I can't back it. I can't get behind it. It's not the band that I fell in love with. And yes, again, very fucking elitist, but whatever, dude. Like, I don't know, man. Um, So yeah, a little bit disheartened by that album, to say the least. But, again, there's still three songs on there that I liked, so it was not the end of the world as far as I knew. The stage. The fucking stage. So, in 2016, um, October to be exact, they did a sort of a surprise release for this album. Because the title track, which was the lead single, the stage released, and then I believe either right then and there or the next day... The rest of the album came out. And that's a really, really cool way to roll out a record, to be honest. And especially for Vex Enfold, who they're at a status where they can easily do that. And, and it can easily work for them. The song itself, the stage. It is quite different from the Hell to the King approach. The structure of it is honestly somewhat relatable to the stuff from them that I really do idolize. But the delivery of it and the execution of it, I, they lost me again. It, it was not a song that I could really support or back. It's just not what I'm into. And then the rest of the record, it, it's so miss with very little hits. I, I think some of the songs on there that like, you know, kind of have their moments, uh, creating God, Goddamn, and Roman Sky. And even then, I wouldn't say I like those songs. I just think there are some parts of them where I can say that the band had the right idea and the right approach, but maybe not the right execution, if that makes any sense. But the rest of the album, like Hail to the King, just can't do it. It's just not for me. And I, I don't see my disdain for new events unfold as being like tarnishing to their old material in any way like the old material will always be there i will always have the ability to go back and hear city of evil whenever i want to so that is not me you know really trying to complain about this new direction of them or this new sound it's just me giving a stance as somebody who owes so much of my fandom for music to this band and you know just like when I reviewed the Slipknot album last year, I do have an obligation to hear this album and talk about it because I cannot avoid this band. I cannot pretend that they did not have a fucking chokehold on my childhood the same way Slipknot did. And yeah, I eviscerate the Slipknot album just like I'm about to eviscerate this album by Avenged Sevenfold because it is by large and by far the worst album I have reviewed this year. And truly extending that notion, it might just be the worst album that I've talked about ever on Ulterior. I cannot remember any time prior hearing an album and just being as deflated with it as I am for this album. I just said on the stage that some songs on there, I could at least hear like the ideas that the band were going for and be like, okay, this could have worked out. There is not a single moment on Life is But a Dream that I hear and I think... You had the right idea. 
and you had the right approach. One of those areas would be the delivery and the cadence by M. Shadows. Like, I've always admired Shadows as a vocalist, whether he was screaming or singing. I've always thought he was very talented, and I do still think he is. Like, I'm not taking away his abilities whatsoever with this review, but I am saying that the particular tone that he uses throughout most of these songs, it just feels so odd and strange and weird, and I'm not going to attribute it to him getting older. I just feel like he wanted to do something that was really out there and just in my opinion it didn't work like at all i did talk about the singles nobody and we love you back when they dropped and those were like the real indicators that for myself at least life is but a dream would be an album that does take chances but they're not the chances that i think can pay off sonically in any fashion for what the band is doing here um, after that, like, the first bit of new material is the opening song, Game Over. Game Over reminds me of something that Metallica would be doing nowadays, but with this really strange cadence from Shadows that feels like it's trying to parody something, but I know it's not. Like, Blood is serious about this track. The song breaks off into this acoustic closing section that probably had a chance at salvaging whatever was going on here with Game Over, but it, it kind of does all come down to the execution by M. Shadows vocally here, and I'm probably gonna keep repeating this throughout the review because Shadows is genuinely my biggest issue with what is going on here. Mattel has this intro that for 15 seconds made me believe that maybe, just maybe there was going to be some flair of what it is from Avenged Sevenfold that I enjoy hearing. But then, it, it can't help itself but do the same shit that I mentioned before about breaking off into an entirely separate section where Shadows lets the absolute worst qualities of his delivery take over. And it happens too often in the song for those bearable and potential field ideas to really craft this track. Um, Cosmic and Beautiful Morning, they follow the singles. To me, those two songs kind of show the same thing in a way, which is that... The band really wanted to push forward with these longer songs that are laced with all of the strange elements of the album, and it, it, to me, it just doesn't work. Like, these ideas and the concepts are too just fucking weird for a long song to make them sustainable in any fashion. Easier Sounds Like Shadows is speaking through a megaphone, and... Admittedly, the instrumentation surrounding that is actually not terrible, but I just can't hear this song and believe that this effect placed over Shadow's voice benefited it in any way. And I'm saying that with the understanding to you guys already that I have not liked this guy's delivery so far on this entire fucking record. You get the three-part track. It spells out God. I don't know why this wasn't just one song. And I know I kind of just like shit it on the longer songs, but to me, had God been one track, the the quirkiness of it would have been enough to kind of make it maybe a standout of the album. But like breaking it off into three sections, to me, like it gave me the ability to kind of pick apart a favorite of the three. And I would say that is the intro song G and how that track kind of has these like funk and jazz elements mixed in throughout it. And it's actually... Probably not terrible, but again, the idea that this song is meant to represent one body of work, yet I have the ability to pick it apart, I don't think that did it any favors. The second part of the song, Ordinary, I say this with respect. I Old Man Polyphia was the vibe and the tone that I got from here. It does kind of sound like something that maybe Polyphia would have been like trying to do on uh, Renaissance, not this badly though um the closing song for the three-part track here death you just have to fuck i'm talking i'm saying you as in like shadows and everybody else in the band you just had to fucking do the weird slow down shit again and it, it wasn't working on game over it's not working by death there is no point on the album whatsoever where scaling things back so you can give off this weird delivery works at all uh, then from there, you get the closing track, which is the title track, Life is But a Dream. I'm gonna say something real fucking mean, and I'm kind of sorry, kind of not sorry. <sighs> but 
This is my favorite song on the album because nobody's actually playing their dedicated instrument. Shadows doesn't sing, Sin's not on guitar, uh, Brooks is not on drums, you get the point. It's a piano ballad. It's an instrumental 4 minute 30 second piano ballad. And it's probably the best of the band sounds on here because they're not actually playing. Shitty, I know. But I- I'm just being like real fucking truthful with you-, with you guys. I've said before, I will never lie to you. And life is but a dream is abysmal. Like there were moments on here where like, you know, maybe this idea could have worked, but the biggest thing holding it back is shadows. And I kind of said this about um, the Slipknot album from last year and how Corey Taylor to me felt like the piece of the puzzle that was just like breaking everything apart. And I feel like that's what shadows does here. The delivery on every track is just not it. It's not there whatsoever. And that's really disheartening for me to say, because when I think about shadows in the two thousands, potentially like top five, top three vocalists I've ever heard in my life. Didn't matter if he was screaming or if he was singing, the dude had it fucking down to perfection. And now It just comes across as like him and the rest of the band being shells of themselves. And I think one of the like most common bits of praise I've seen for the album so far in the last week is some variation of somebody saying, you have to give the band credit for taking chances and being daring. Sure. But I think that they were more daring in the 2000s. Going from Waking the Fall into City of Evil, that was fucking daring. Like, that could have easily been derailing to the band's momentum, but it didn't do that at all. If anything, it furthered their star power. Writing a eight, nine-minute song, whatever it is, about necrophilia, that was fucking daring. That was fucking ballsy. And you know what? It worked. And I think it's still one of the best songs in this band's discography. Closing that record with a country song, daring as fuck, and again... It delivered on every front. There is nothing about the chances taken on Life is But a Dream that I feel like worked. And so in that sense, no, I kind of don't feel like I need to give them credit for taking chances because these chances suck. And I'm going to circle back to what I said at the beginning of the review in that this might be my worst review ever. And not because I might have done a bad job, maybe I did, that's for you guys to tell me, but because I didn't want to do this. I did not want to get on here and eviscerate a band that did so much for me, like Avenged Sevenfold. But, just gotta be honest with you guys, just gotta tell you the truth about how I feel, and I feel like this is a pitiful album. So thankfully that's over, I don't have to talk about the album again, don't have to listen to it again. And again, I'm I'm sure all of this is very mean-spirited, but, like, it's my unimposed duty to tell you guys how I feel about everything as truthfully and honestly as I possibly can, and that was the only way for me to do that review right now. So that does bring me to the singles for the week. And the first one up I get to talk about with as high spirits as I've ever displayed for a track on here before. Amen by Bring Me The Horizon featuring Lil Uziver and Daryl Palumbo from Glassjaw. When I tell you guys, ad nauseum, that I think Bring Me The Horizon is the greatest band of all time, I truly, genuinely, wholeheartedly fucking mean that. There is no band in or out of the scene in the history of fucking history that I think has been able to showcase prowess in as many different areas as Bring Me The Horizon have. Like, the last time I talked about them was on the single Lost last month, and with that song, it kind of had this, like, pop-punk energy to it in a way, and now with Amen, just fucking blistering and heavy and aggressive all the way through, and like I said, Bring Me can take whatever sound it is that they want and just fucking master it again and again over and over. And you have the inclusion of Uzi and Daryl on this track, so everybody by this point knows who Uzi is, you know what to expect from him, and he delivered in his section. I I really do believe that. Daryl Palumbo, if anybody doesn't know is the vocalist of Glassjaw, and Glassjaw was a 
very chaotic band from the early 2000s who were kind of pushing certain hardcore boundaries forward. And so now to be able to fast forward two decades and have Daryl be given this canvas with Amen and Bring Me the Horizon, it is the perfect combination of everything that needed to work to make Amen one of the most effective Bring Me the Horizon songs ever made. And I don't know how many of you guys right now are tapped into what's going on with Bring Me on Twitter and how at Download Festival, there's like this Resident Evil 2 parody screen that says Post-Human 2 and the cryptic shit that's been going on online for Bring Me the Horizon's promotion. It really, really does feel like Post-Human 2 is closer now than ever before, and that in turn makes this one of the most exciting times to be a fan of Bring Me the Horizon. We got a brand new single out right now by Mood Ring. It is called Would You Wait For Me? This is part of the three-song EP, Your Light Fades Away, dropping on July 14th. And every time Mood Ring does something, I feel like I am given the opportunity to let more people in on an act that I believe is genuinely changing the face of new metal or new metalcore, whatever you want to call it. Mood Ring are the biggest game changers in that area of the scene at this moment, and they have been since Stargazer last year. I think Would You Wait For Me, it embodies that exact type of chaos within the instrumentation that I love hearing out of new metal, and the way that it sounds industrial while keeping control through Hunter's voice and how it all comes together perfectly for this chorus that I think displays Hunter at one of his most shining moments in the tenure of Mood Ring. This song is so catchy and infectious while again being chaotic, and it's the exact sound from Mood Ring that I've come to know and love at this point. And with the topic of Mood Ring, I do feel like I should bring up now a post made by Hunter last week about the indefinite pause to his ability to tour because of ongoing health issues. And the statement is very like gutting and heartbreaking, not because this nullifies the chances of anybody being able to see Mood Ring live for the foreseeable future, but because it is very apparent in the statement how much this hurts Hunter. Because Hunter he fucking loves what he does, and he loves the ability to perform. He loves getting out there for people. And the fact that for now he can't because of things out of his control and not at his own fault, that is such a fucking shame. But I want to remain as positive for this uh, topic as I can be. So Hunter, if you come across this, if you're out there, we're all rooting for you. We are all behind you. We all want what is best for you. We all want you to put your health first. And no matter how long it takes, no matter when it happens, when you are ready to be back out there, we will be out there alongside you. Smile is the name of the new single out right now by Concrete Castles. So it probably is about time that I give Concrete Castles their flowers because I have mentioned their name a bunch of times when covering the miscellaneous singles for a given week, but I don't believe that I've ever singled them out and said, so-and-so song of theirs is amazing and you should all go check it out. But considering the quality behind Smile, I don't really have a choice now but to launch them into the stratosphere of ulterior per se um if you guys have ever heard of first to 11 they're a cover band concrete castles is the name that they go by for original material so if you have that preconceived knowledge of just how good they sound with first to 11 
all of that translates to Concrete Castles and Smile so tremendously well. I think Audra sounds as refined and perfect as she ever has. The slight eeriness to the chorus is the element that I believe really wraps all of the ideas of Smile perfectly into this one package that, again, I think is the standout work as of now from Concrete Castles. It's amazing what they managed to achieve on Smile, and I cannot suggest this song enough to all of you. Here's to now have a new single out called 6030. I'm not really sure how many of you guys have heard of Here's Now before. As of right now, their Spotify monthly count is at like 21,000, something like that, last time I checked. And they're a band who I think if the trend that they are following right now in terms of their sound is the continued trajectory, there's no reason why Here's to Now cannot be a band that the entire scene is tapped in for. So I mentioned their single uh, Disassociate last month and I didn't really go into detail on it but 6030 I think really takes all of the characteristics of Here's to Now and puts them on full display in a way that makes them come across as a veteran act in so many ways. I think the track has a stellar fucking pacing to it. I think the chorus gives off this like post-hardcore sensibility that is infused by pop in a way and it really allows this song to stand out from everything else i'm talking about this week and be its own entity and again as long as that can be the trend that here's now follows from here on out you guys will hear about them at some point soon as will everybody else the final single that i'm going into detail on for the episode comes from fever 333 it is called swing So it's been kind of quiet for Fever 333 over the last few years. They had the EP Wrong Generation out back in October 2020, and then not really much else going on outside of a couple of feature spots that Jason Allen Butler did. With Swing, okay, so this song, I don't want to call it a departure from Fever's sound because the intangible elements of Fever, I think, are still infused in this track, but there is this sense of the song kind of taking on a, a bit more of an accessible sound in a way. And I'm primarily pointing to the la-la-las that are in the chorus. And I know that that was a big turnoff for a lot of people in terms of the reception to the track. I really don't mind it. If anything, I think that part of the chorus really adds to the overall catchy and infectious nature of what's happening on Swing. I think this is a successful song for Fever 333, and I say that as somebody who is sometimes a little bit hard on the band, admittedly for no reason other than the fact that they're not let live, but that is a uh, almost impossible standard to hold anybody up to, so I do admit that that's like kind of fucked up of me, but my point anyways stands that I think Swing is an amazing song, and I am genuinely interested in where Fever goes from here if this song is an indicator of any sort of sonic change. These were the remaining singles from last week that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in their reviews on social media. What I Wanted by After Our Animals, Set Me Free by Change the World, Grooming My Replacement by, by Code Orange, The Game by Code Orange, Face the Fire by Crimson Adored featuring Tyler Eads from The Wise Man's Fear, Inhuman Scum by Distant featuring Inhuman, Rot of Humanity by 18 Visions, Waiting on You by Enemy, Stick Together by Grieve, Sweet Dreams by Guilt Trip featuring Florence Delfati from Landmarks. Mental Health by Happy Hour. Demons by If Not For Me. I Don't Care At All by Lawrence Anderson. Manic by Magnolia Park featuring 408. Narcissist by Our Last Goodbye. I Don't Want To Be Like You by Outsider Heart featuring Colorblind. Burn With Me by Revoid. The Truth by Set The Sun featuring Clint Lowry. No More Waiting by This Wildlife featuring Brian Burkheiser from I Prevail. 
How'd You Forget Us by This Wildlife featuring Joshua Roberts from Magnolia Park, Guilt by Throne, Life in Slow Motion by Trophy Eyes, Feed the Vice by Victims, and Vengeance by Within Destruction featuring Asia Boy and Lizzie. I cannot pronounce the rest of their names, and I do apologize for that. I don't want to butcher it in any fashion, but uh, yeah, so those were all the singles, and a really solid week overall. I feel like I've been saying that over and over again, but generally, a lot of these bands are putting out some quality material, and you can't help but smile, dude. You love to see it. And so, yeah, having covered the Avenged Sevenfold album at the beginning of the episode, that leaves me with one album left, and it is Blossom by Pupil Slicer. So what I always try to do with these reviews, if I'm able to, is establish my background and history with the band that I am talking about. Like on the Avenged Sevenfold review, I spent probably half of it telling you guys about like how I found the band, what I thought of them, and all that sort of shit. I can't do that with Pupil Slicer because this was honestly my introduction to the band. I, I don't know how it was that... They were never once on my radar. Nobody had ever mentioned them to me before. I had never seen anybody talk about them on Twitter or Instagram, YouTube, Discord, whatever it was. The name Pupil Slicer was completely foreign to me until last week when I started seeing people finally mention their name because Blossom was releasing on Friday. So after learning about that, I did see that the band had three singles for the album available. The title track, No Temple, and Momentary Actuality. But I decided to forego hearing those songs ahead of time and go into the record completely blind about any knowledge of the band other than knowing that they were metalcore. And even though I knew nothing, that created this excitement for myself that I don't normally get with this show. And that's because just about every band I cover, I would say maybe like 93, 94% of the time, I know who they are. I've heard of them before. I have a preconceived notion of what they sound like and what I can expect. But with Pupil Slicer, none of that existed whatsoever. So that is in turn what I mean by this was a really exciting record for me to dive into because I didn't know what the fuck I was in store for. And so you press play on the album, and the first thing that you hear is the intro song, Glaring Dark of Night. Glaring Dark of Night is insanely effective in what it tries to get across for the rest of the album, because it sets the tone and the stage of this being a very dark and unsettling and unnerving body of work that anybody who gets into it will not be able to forget anytime soon. And the way Glaring Dark of Night really gets it across by having these like distorted keys layered over a traditional piano. And again, it just makes for this really bizarre atmosphere, but one where I listened to it. And even though this is just an intro song, it hooked me. Like I didn't know what to expect, but I was ready for whatever came my way. And then you get into Momentary Actuality, which I just mentioned as being one of the singles. This song is fucking insane. And saying fucking insane, it still feels like I am undermining what it is that this song actually achieves. So, like I said before, with Pupil Slicer, all I knew ahead of time was that they were metalcore, or apparently metalcore. And... At their roots, sure, they are, but Momentary Actuality kind of expanded on the horizons that this band exists on because they aren't just metalcore, they're mathcore, they're death metal, they're grindcore, they're every weird facet of the like metal umbrella, yet it all works. It works so so fucking perfectly and it didn't matter if this song was just like blistering and ferociously in your face with a blast beat or if kate was given 
the space to let her vocals really shine in this grandiose manner, Momentary Actuality made sure that I understood what it was that Blossom was trying to do to me. And everything that it was trying to do to me, I welcomed it. I don't know if I have like felt this specific way about a record since the first time I heard the correlation between Engines and Exit Wounds by Sea Space Cowboy back in 2019. Because just like with People Slicer, that was my introduction to Sea Space Cowboy. And the way that the chaos wrapped itself around Connie's vocals, that's almost entirely what I feel like is happening here with Pupil Slicer and Kate. Oh, I did mention that there were two other singles, No Temple and Blossom. No Temple is one of the most just in-your-face, battering-the-fuck-out-of-you songs I've heard so far this year from any band. And it's that kind of pacing that I think allows these heavier moments on Blossom to really make it clear just how fucking good People Slicer really are when it comes to making the most apoplectic-sounding, chaos-fucking-infused metalcore, mathcore, whatever you want to call it, that there is right now in the scene. And then Blossom, which is the album's closer. This one is very strange to me, because you have all of the metalcore and grindcore, mathcore elements of People Slicer here, but, and maybe this is just me, maybe this isn't anything that anybody else picked up on, and I'm like a fucking lone wolf in this shit, but it's almost like an alt-rock song in, is happening in the background. Like, that's the kind of delivery that I can hear instrumentally, at least in the backing track, and the band is just like continuing to play what it is that they know how to play over that style, and it's so weird and, and strange, but... It's that sort of creative outlet that I think helps this album out tremendously well. And with that creative outlet in mind, something that Blossom is able to do better than almost any album this year, sans like maybe Sleep Token or Nothing Nowhere, is create some of the most like unique sounds out of any band so far like i can't think of a song that sounds like creating the devil in our image and the way that that track uses every possible avenue to make this very unsettling sounding song whether it be through the bass elements or the intro that is initially instrumental before letting kate really take the wheel on the song it all knows what it's trying to do and what it's trying to do to me is make as grand of an entrance for Kate as possible because Kate's screams really elevate not just creating the devil in our image, but the entirety of Blossom. And something similar happens on the song following that, the song at creation's end. That track is 759, yet it never once in my initial listen of the track ever felt like anything was dragging. The song genuinely managed to carry the momentum all the way through for that 759 runtime and there really are not many bands who i would instill this level of trust in being able to do that but people slicer they have every bit of faith for myself in the world that they can take a longer song like this and make it exciting and enthralling all the way through with no speed bumps whatsoever i think the three song stretch that goes from terminal lucidity into language of the stars and then into dim morning light is one of the greatest accomplishments on the album and what i mean by that is each of those songs kind of showcases a different layer to pupil slicer in the sense that terminal lucidity is that patented heavy style from the band and then language of the stars is a three minute like interlude in a way it's not an interlude though like i feel like there is enough vibrancy and life injected into language of the stars to justify it being as much of a song as anything else here and it uses its piano bass to like craft this very beautiful yet still malevolent sound for an album that up to that point was almost nothing but just sheer fucking chaos and darkness. Dim Morning Light has like a shoegaze effect to it in some ways. I think the moments where Kate is singing on Dim Morning Light, 
The song to me sounds like if you were to take Soft Cult and like shoot them into hell. That was a very strange way to phrase that, but it's kind of what I have like this mental image of like that shoegaze sound just being, um, you know, blared out to the fucking depths of hell with fire surrounding it. Like this song and the album altogether, it paints that very dark and brooding image. And it's that level of effectiveness in doing so that to me makes Blossom one of the most must-hear albums of 2023 so far. And I'm willing to say that by the time December comes around, I'm still going to feel that way. I'm still going to be telling you guys that Blossom is this very unique and captivating and fucking chilling experience that none of you will be able to forget whenever it is that you do give Pupil Slicer and Blossom the chance if you have not done so already. And that's it. That was every album and single from last week for me to review. A strange episode because, like I said, there's a part of it that I didn't really want to do, but then there are parts of it that I was really, really, really excited for. And, yeah. I generally don't really know what's happening for the next few weeks in the scene. I know Honey Revenge is an album this month, but outside of that, we're kind of just in like a like a wait and see play by ear type of a beat right now. And that's not the worst thing in the world because it does create moments like with people slicer where I am just completely caught off guard by something I wasn't expecting. And sometimes that's better to me than when an album that I was anticipating delivers, if that makes any sort of sense. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, for the love of the game, Let's make a scene.